Welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. I'm Brendan Sinone. Joining me is Bob Ferrante and Chris Nee. Uh, and the most pressing question I think uh, we want to start off with here, and we're going to take a couple questions from uh, from our readers today, talk NFL draft, but we're going to start off with, uh, do I sound like Michael Sarah? Uh, and and I guess yes or no, do I sound like him? And, and do you guys even know who, who he is? I'm, I'm going to guess Bob may not know. No, no clue. But you do sound like you might have a sinus infection there. Well, that's that's true. But I apparently sounded like him beforehand. Chris, do you, do you know? You're a little bit more hip with the with the kids. Do you know who Michael Sarah is? More hip with the kids. Wow. Um, yeah, I know who he is. You sound a bit like him. I mean, fragile and concerned, and like you're not sure of yourself. So yeah, I see a little bit of it. I mean that's probably fair. I didn't feel like I sound like him, but I am all those things. I am fragile. I'm very unsure. Um, a lot of anxiety uh, riddled daily. Even as I'm talking now, I'm just thinking about the anxiety that I have. So, anyways, it's not helped out by this sinus infection. I'm going to push through it. I know that's gross to hear. Uh, I'm pushing through it though. Playing injured. This is like Michael Jordan flu game, guys. So, anyways, let's talk NFL draft. We're a couple of days away. Uh, Florida State has a couple of really intriguing storylines going into the draft. First and foremost, Dalvin Cook. Uh, let's start off before we get into Dalvin and, and all the you know good stuff that comes with him off the field, on the field. Is he going to be taken in the first round? Just give me a yes or no answer, and then we'll go from there. Bob, yes or no, does Dalvin get taken in the first round of the draft on Thursday? Yes, definitely taken in the first round. Chris? Yep, I'm in agreement. All right, boring, boring radio. All three of us agree. I, I think he goes in the first round, but I, I'm not sure if it's a – a slam dunk. You know, a month ago, people were talking about him going in the top 10, <clears throat> excuse me, before the combine. Uh, that that kind of seemed to go by the wayside. I'm not sure how realistic that, that was, but uh, yeah, I think he's going to go somewhere in between 20 and, and 30. Uh, do you guys have an ideal landing spot or kind of, you know, based on the reading that you're doing, uh, the people that you're talking to, where do you think he's going to kind of end up uh, come Thursday? I think the earliest we could see him go is maybe around like 12 when Cleveland has that second pick. I think the more realistic spot is probably around 19 with Tampa Bay. I think that's kind of where it gets hot and heavy. If they pass on him, then it might get kind of interesting. But I don't see a playoff team passing on a talented back, you know, if they don't have a great offensive depth in the backfield type of situation going on. I don't see him passing on a guy like Delvin. So I just don't see him slipping beyond 32. Yeah, same here. I think Cook presents good value for teams uh, in the middle of the draft. I think, you know, pro football folks did a good kind of analysis about scheme fits, where Cook could really excel. And they mentioned the Colts at 15, the Redskins at 17, Chiefs at 27, if he slides that far. It really does sound like the Bucks are interested, too, at 19. So I think there's just too many teams are interested in a guy who can bring a lot of versatility to the table. I mean, I think Dalvin going at to Kansas City at 27, I know Florida, a lot of Florida State fans would be disappointed by him sliding that far, and especially a lot of Florida State fans kind of coincide with Bucks fans and would like to see you know, Jameis Winston and, and Dalvin Cook reunite. Uh, and I think that's a possibility, uh, and I think that's kind of the the earliest we would see Dalvin go. I'd be surprised if it's a little bit earlier than that, but um, I think him going to Kansas City would be like a best-case scenario, and that's the thing. You're talking about Dalvin falling, and that may not be great you know, on draft night, but you go to a place like Kansas City that consistently wins. Andy Reid's one of the best offensive minds in, in football and knows how to utilize his players at a very high level, and he's made Alex Smith a a, a playoff quarterback for a couple years in a row. Uh, he uses his running backs out of the backfield, uh, you know, catching the ball, 
Uh, so kind of extends Dalvin Cook's you know career if he's with Andy Reid for a while. I think he's going to end up in a good spot if he goes in the late first round. Kind of, kind of the worst case scenario is if he goes early first round and goes to a team like, say, the Jags or something like that, where where there aren't a ton of pieces in place around him. Uh, that would that would be kind of not want to say disastrous, but just for his you know long term you know, potential, I think he'd be better off going you know in that twenty to to thirty two range. Yeah. Plus, another thing mentioning the Chiefs is that a uh, common comparison for Dalvin is Jamal Charles. Mm-hmm. So you know that's a system that he would easily fit right into. You know, as a player comp type of situation goes. Yeah, yeah, we saw that a lot. It was funny kind of seeing all the different player comps uh, for Dalvin during this entire process. Process saw Jamal Charles a lot. He doesn't quite have Jamal Charles is. Uh, you know, I think Jamal Charles is like a four three guy when he was in the combine. Dalvin closer to four. Four fours, four fives, and obviously the uh, the agility drills weren't great, but his vision and his ability to accelerate are pretty spectacular. But we saw Jamal Charles a lot, uh, saw LaShawn McCoy uh, quite a bit, a little shiftier guy. Uh, actually, seen Devonte Freeman uh, a couple times. Do you guys see? I mean, we watched Freeman up close, and we watched Cook up close. So both guys obviously comparable from their resumes. You know, Florida State, Miami Central. But but do you see the same type of runner or similar type of runner with those two? I, I guess I never really thought of those two being comparable before. Uh, with Freeman, I think he had uniquely special vision. I don't know if Cook can be stated in the same way. Delvin doesn't have bad vision. He finds holes and runs effectively through them. But Devontae Freeman was kind of the king of anticipation of a hole opening and then finding it and shooting through it and making people miss when he got into the second level. Yeah, with Devontae, too, he's really stacked up some, some quality receiving yards, too. He's he's one of the most versatile backs out there. I don't know if, if Dalvin's up there yet as far as a receiver maybe two years in the NFL where he's going to catch as many passes as Devontae has. But um, I think the Jamal Charles comp is, is maybe a little bit better. Um, just, you know, right now kind of seeing where, where Dalvin might project coming out of the draft. All right, so sticking with Dalvin, I have my own, you know, flaming hot take on on Dalvin and the off field stuff, and it just seems like you know, for anyone that's a draft junkie like myself that reads you know a lot of mock drafts and reading all the analysis and coverage, and now half of that's kind of bull crap anyways, and guys just just throwing throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks. But a lot of it is legitimate, and there are people who do a lot of good work and reporting, and and it is a legitimate industry. Just kind of becomes watered down this time of year with all these different mock drafts. But I I find it interesting. So anyways, with, with Dalvin, and I feel like every time I'm reading something about him, you're hearing you know character concerns, injury concerns, fumbling concerns, and it seems like it's almost you got to throw those out there when you're talking about him and you're seeing him in these mock drafts. Uh, of the warts in his game, I guess what, or just not even his game, but just his his whole resume. Uh, what do you guys think is legitimate concern that that impacts his not just his draft status, but his ability to thrive at the NFL level? And what do you think uh, is maybe kind of being over overblown here leading up to the draft? You know, I think at this point, it's all smokescreen to me. You know, a guy that is this talented, this versatile, I think everybody just wants to put out rumors. And, you know, honestly, if you're sitting late in the first round, you're kind of hoping that a guy with Dalvin Cook's talent slides to you. My biggest concern, honestly, with Dalvin is really more of the shoulder. Mm -hmm. He's had three shoulder surgeries. And so durability is a bit of an issue, but I think you can also compensate for that. You know, for example, you know, with the Redskins to have Chris Thompson as a as a really good third down back, you could have Dalvin kind of take the, the workload on first and second down. 
you can kind of mitigate Cook's shoulder issues in the past if you're if you have a concern there. And the other thing is, look, there's warts about every player. I mean, even Miles Garrett is being criticized, and he is the obvious number one pick this year. So, yeah, I mean, are there off-field concerns with Cook? Sure, but I I just I don't have as strong a concerns. I think in part because we were around that summer of 2015 with with the off-field issues here. You know, we were in court that day. We saw that that wasn't exactly the best, you know, presented court case that, that had to be brought forward given the situation with Dalvin. He was found not guilty in 25 minutes. It's, I just, I don't feel as concerned from an off-field standpoint with Dalvin at all. I think the big thing with Dalvin is that, you know, everybody talks about the off-field concerns, and I get it. You're about to make a major investment in a football player, so you need to, you know, check in every P and Q type of thing, crossing every T, dotting every I, all that fun stuff. But uh, the truth is Dalvin Cook, you know, it's kind of an open book. People that know him know that he had some transgressions when he was a youngster, had a couple things happen at FSU that were very public. Those things, you know, kind of played out as they did. All that's well-known. But I'm with Bob. My bigger concern if I'm going to invest money in the young man as a football player is his shoulder. Um, can he hold up? Can he be durable? Can he take the beating that an NFL running back is going to take? That would be my bigger question. You know, any player you take in the NFL draft, not any player, but a lot of players that you're going to take in the NFL draft have some moment in their life where they did something that was less than stellar or something that may concern you with off-field, you know, uh, situations. So, I, I just find it funny that he's kind of been hammered so much with that stuff when there's plenty of guys that are going to be taken on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday who have similar issues. It's not like he's the only one. Some of it's the element of where he grew up, where he came from. And, you know, Todd McShay, for example, had to report of the concern is more so the people he associates himself with. Well, some of that's the element he grew up in. Some of those are friends he's had for 10, 15 years of his life. I don't think a lot of them are Johnny come lately. I don't think Delvin's the kind of guy that's going to let people jump in his circle unless he has a certain element of trust with them. So that's going to happen. That's the NFL kind of to a T. So I, I find it all kind of foolish to be completely honest for every guy in the history of the NFL draft process that we thought was going to have major issues because of something off the field. You know, there's been plenty that have turned out just fine. And then guys who are supposedly choir boys have turned out to be, malcontents that were awful human beings so marvin harrison <coughs> yeah i mean it's it's just to me it's honestly stupid it's stupid as hell. the whole draft process is kind of stupid it's just such a stretched out process that we have to repeat the same thing over and over and over you know almost until we believe it and you know Delvin cook's a guy you're taking a calculated risk with but so is a hell of a lot of other people yeah, it's all a calculator risk because there's no scientific, you know, there's no barometer to say, okay, this is exactly what is going to be uh, the right move and this is what's going to be the wrong one that sinks a franchise. It's just no one yeah. no one knows. And, and you protect yourself with the contract. I mean, if you have concerns with a guy, you make the contract where if those concerns prove true, you don't owe him money, and then you can walk away from it. You know, that's how the business works. It's... I just think it's all foolish. If you think Delvin Cook can help you win football games, you really don't give a damn about what he's done off the field. I mean, Adam Pacman Jones keeps playing in the NFL. And he's about <laughs> the worst human being on the planet Earth. So let's not sit here and act like, you know, accusations and things of that sort suddenly become super important because it's the NFL draft process. No, they don't. Can he help you put points on the football board 
on the scoreboard. That's what matters. Yeah, and, and the thing with Dalvin that I will say, I mean, there are a lot of you know, off-field red flags, and, and I think people explain them away. And you can't explain each and every one of those incidents away, and then, and that's true. Uh, you can. I would say that the fact that there's so many is a little concerning, but like Chris said, it's not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things, <clears throat> excuse me, as it applies to NFL teams, where which is winning trumps all. Um, and the one thing that I would say with Dalvin, too, in regards to that is that Almost all of that stuff has happened either in high school, uh, early on in his time at Florida State, like the last year and a half, as far as I know of, and as far as what's out there, like he's been pretty squeaky clean. Uh, so NFL teams have had time to vet those things, any concerns. Like you see like with Caleb Brantley and the allegation that's out there with him uh, right now, like that may you know, sink his draft stock only because teams haven't had time to vet it. Or uh, last year with the uh, Laramie Tunsil thing with the smoking smoking out of the, the gas mask or whatever right before a draft night. Uh, those are the kind of things that ultimately can, can hurt your draft stock when you don't have time to vet it. Uh, Dalvin Cook is going to likely go in the first round at the worst second round. And when you're talking about you know, that type of uh, investment that you're making in a guy, not just financially, but but you know those are valuable assets and commodities in the NFL, a first round pick and even a second round pick. You know, it, it, whatever whatever these uh, concerns that people have, they aren't that great because he's going to go by the second round. If they were really concerned that he was a terrible human being, a guy that would just completely you know find himself out of the league almost uh, guaranteed. He wouldn't be going at all, or if not, you know, very late in the draft, which we've seen. So, I, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you guys. I think a lot of it is is overblown. Uh, to me, the main concern is the shoulder injuries. Three surgeries uh, since high school on shoulders. That that as far as long term is concerning. But man, with running backs, the shelf life is so short. Anyways, like I think a guy like Dalvin Cook that can can change a game instantly uh, and take over like that. That you you roll the dice with a guy like that. And I think NFL teams are willing to roll the dice more these days because of the rookie contracts and the wage scales. Yeah. And, you know, that's why we're cussing quarterbacks taking far earlier than they really should be because teams are just searching for that right quarterback, that, that next guy who could be the answer. You know, for years, we also had these discussions about running backs and were running backs valuable in the first round or not. And, and now we're seeing that the right running back is highly valuable. And, and our guys like, you know, like Dalvin, like Leonard Fournette, like Christian McCaffrey, they bring a lot to the table. You know, McCaffrey and Cook can, can be great receivers out of the backfield. Uh, McCaffrey could be a special teams guy. So, you know, I, I think somebody said, maybe it was McShay on the radio one day, he's like, we're at the point in the draft process where all the scouts are just crusty and grumpy. They've been on the road for, you know, however many months in a row. They've done all the, the games on Saturdays. They've done all the, the pro days. I think guys are just wanting to be critical of every little aspect of a player's game. But when it comes down to it, you've got to pick. You either need to trade up, trade out, pick a guy you think you, who can help you. And I think a guy like Dalvin can really help a lot of offenses out there. No, I agree. And, um, I mean, everyone is crusty. You talk about all these curmudgeons you know, covering the draft. And like Chris said, that, that this just process is, is stretched out basically from the time of of January when when you know the college football season ends until until late April uh, it's a long time and stuff gets regurgitated but i love it like this is basically the equivalent of of you know those 
trash magazines in the front of grocery stores at the checkout line at a Publix where you just, you know, it's stupid and you know, you're reading it and, and there's only like a, a sliver of truth or of anything of substance to what you're reading, but you still do it anyways. And uh, I'm like a kid on Christmas when uh, when draft comes around. So that's that's me being a dork. So let's let's continue going on to uh, a couple more Florida State players. I think uh, you know next in line as far as guys who are going to be drafted at Florida State most likely is Demarcus Walker. Do you guys agree he's, he's probably number two off the board for Florida State players? Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, the big question is just second round. Yeah, does he slide to the third round? Where does he fit? What's what's the best defensive scheme for him? I, I don't know. I, I, I've i seen enough that I like I like him on film. And I, I like what he can bring to the table. I kind of feel like he's still that 4-3 that edge guy, but you know, what do you all think? There's enough examples now of guys who, like a Michael Bennett, um, that, that lines up outside you know, on early downs and you kick him inside uh, and could be a disruptive pass rusher. That's how Florida State used him, and, and it was a perfect way to utilize DeMarcus Walker's strengths and kind of hide his weaknesses. He, he's you know, everyone's going to have flaws and, and his are pretty abundant. You know, he's not super long. Uh, he's not a great athlete. Although I will say you watch him on tape. Uh, you know, when we watched him live, like their plays, I think it was against USF two years ago where he had to, where he had to track down a, a, a flare pass out of the backfield uh, and stayed square in line with the guy and, and projected where the back was going to be as soon as he caught it and made a tackle two or three yards downfield. And I was like, man, that's an NFL level play like to turn and run like that. Uh, he's just not an elite athlete, but I don't think like he's this the super rigid stiff guy that can't translate to the NFL. I think there's a lot of ways that he can be utilized, and you know, saying he's a in between of a tackle or an end like that could have been a damning thing, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But the way players are used now in the NFL, and there's so many sub packages, like I don't understand why he wouldn't be taken, and you know. Uh, at least the first three rounds, I could see him slipping a little bit, but you know, there were reports, you know, a month or so ago that he could go into the fifth round. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> he's he's a guy who gets after the quarterback, and that's a premium, premium attribute in, in football today. It's funny you bring up Michael Bennett, because he went undrafted uh, when he came out <laughs> of college back in 09. Um, obviously I don't think DeMarcus is gonna go undrafted. I think he goes as early as a very late second round. I think he's almost certain to come off the board into the third round. To study and teams valuing production versus potential. I don't think DeMarcus is going to develop into something greater at the next level. I think he's pretty much what he's going to be outside of growing a bit more into his body and whatnot comes with maturity. But in general, you know the player you're taking. You know what he's capable of doing. You know what his limitations are. You know what he fits from a package standpoint. You know what he's not. You know, hopefully the Colts won't take him and try to turn him into a linebacker. <laughs> We've seen him do that with defensive ends before and it ruined their NFL career. Um, so my opinion is that you just, you know, I think it's going to be a team that tends to pick smart, a team that tends to understand how to handle the draft, you know, Patriots, Seahawks to a degree, teams like that, that, uh, kind of understand you're taking the player to be a certain something. You're not taking a player to become a certain something. And I think that's going to be where he pays off. I think you'll see him go to a team that tends to be graded at a higher level coming out NFL drafts consistently with their front office and their coaching staff that they currently have than some of these teams that, you know, can't save themselves when it comes to the NFL draft, like the Cleveland Browns and those sorts. Were you guys, I think we were all kind of impressed, right? When we saw him at pro day, uh, the way DeMarcus was, you know, shed weight, the way he was moving. Uh, he, he was a guy that, that just looked at him and said, wow, like, wh- 
he just looked so much different. His body morphed. He had some bad weight around his midsection in college, not that it really impacted his play. But I guess for you guys, like, does that is that an all a red flag? And I legitimately don't know this. You see a guy that's a little out of shape in some some ways, and then all of a sudden he gets his body right right before the you know big big job interviews. Uh, is that alarming at all? We saw the same thing with Mario Edwards Jr. too, where he was kind of a little pudgy in some areas, and all of a sudden got in tip top shape. Like, is that disingenuous, or is that just kind of how this process? works uh is that kind of par for the course i think it's uh you know you can point to the fact that all he's doing in that stretch of that time is training you know there's a sole purpose of his life right now and that is to prepare for the combine for pro day for workouts for the nfl draft you know it's a lot easier heck i wouldn't weigh 200 and whatever i weigh pounds if you know all i did was go to the gym every day for five days a week and work really hard at what i'm gonna be you know, it, I, I I don't think it's a red flag. I don't think it's a concern. I I think Demarcus is a guy that has proven. I think Brad Lawwing would vouch for him. I think Vic Valoria would vouch for him. I think he's proven he's a hard worker, both on the field, in practice, in workouts. I don't think there's any kind of red flag there, any kind of concerns. I think it's just a matter of a guy, for the first time in his life, having only one thing to worry about, and that is to be in tip-top shape and ready to play football. Two hundred and something pounds. <laughs> the other thing with Walker is he's going to be in the film room. He's going to be coachable. He's going to be a leader. I think he's a, a guy who you, you can kind of count on, you know, on Sunday. You know what you're going to get with him, too. Yeah, he, he was well regarded. That was when, as a leader, when when the report, I think it was Tony Pauline of, uh, was a Draft Insider? I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name off the top of my head of, of the website. I think it was Draft Insider saying that there was character concerns. <laughs> I said, what? Um, yeah, you can see, you know, physically you're kind of a little concerned about, you know, some limitations he has. I think the bad weight's not not a great look, but um, that was just uh, such a weird, a weird report to come out and that was the first time any of us had ever heard you know him having some kind of character concerns or anything like that he was regarded as a leader in that locker room was well respected uh you'd regularly see him out talking to the offensive line you know at timeouts and the offensive linemen were listening to him and you clearly had uh you know he, he had their respect so anyways I, I think we all kind of on the same page with demarcus walker probably a second or third round guy i think maybe there's a way he slips into the fourth but uh, I think he represents good value for someone to take him as a sub package you know, uh, type of type of uh, interior pass rusher who could also kind of set the edge. Uh, again, uh, Michael Bennett's, you know, like you said, Chris, he went undrafted, uh, but the NFL is different now, and, and there's guys like that who shows they have that kind of value. Uh, a guy like Solomon Thomas from from Stanford's a, a higher end version of a Demarcus Walker based on just his physical build and upside, and he's a guy who could go in the top five in the NFL draft. So those kind of uh, malleable guys are are certainly uh, worthwhile. Uh, moving down the board a little bit, we won't go over over every Florida State prospect, but uh, Rod Johnson's another interesting case study and uh, and potential versus you know production. A guy who at the beginning of the year was kind of considered uh, a fringe first round prospect, someone a lot of NFL teams were looking at, uh, despite some up and down play as a sophomore. He was a guy who was really good as a true freshman. Uh, and just never really took the next step. I guess, what, what are you guys' thoughts on, on Rod Johnson's upside and, and maybe why he didn't? I mean, would, let me ask you this. Would, would you consider his career at Florida State kind of underwhelming or disappointing based on, on what his upside was coming in? I would to a slight degree. I mean, he was a two-and-a-half-year starter, so there's a credit to that. Mm-hmm. He started as a true freshman. That's a tough task for any offensive lineman. Um but I don't really feel like Rod got a whole lot better in his career at FSU. And that's the thing I always kind of come back to. 
Like, he was a good player as a freshman, did a very good job. He was basically the same guy when he played his last game in Guardian Gold. So I don't really feel like he got that much stronger. I don't feel like the body morphed or changed in a positive manner. I just kind of feel like he's stuck in neutral. And, I, heck, if I'm an NFL team looking at him, the film is good, not great. The body is good. The weight is not real good. I mean, that's probably the biggest concern with him. The strength is also a pretty big concern, I would say. So I completely understand why he's kind of tumbled in the draft. I still think he made a smart decision going pro simply because it's a pretty bad offensive tackle draft. Mm -hmm. So kind of out of necessity, I think his stock will be okay. But, you know, he's not a guy that sets the world on fire. He's not a – truthfully, in watching the Mike Mayox, Daniel Jeremiah, those types of the world, how often have you heard them talk about Roger Johnson? And when they have, how much have they been complimentary of Roger Johnson? It seems like it's been a pretty limited scope with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you look at Roger Johnson, I think the question is, do you have an established left tackle? So can you bring in Rod to be your right tackle? Could it be a, a fill-in guard if there's an injury? I, I don't know about guard, but I think he probably can because he's smart enough and he's, he's going to learn quickly. You know, with, with Rod, the advantage is the guy is personable, extremely smart. He's very coachable. I think he just probably needs a little bit of a change of scenery, maybe another offensive line coach, not saying that Rick Trickett did a poor job with him. I think he just needs to find another situation where he can maybe fit in well. I, I'm not sold on him as an NFL left tackle, but you know, if you've got a spot where you need a guy at right tackle and then you know, can he fit in, in another couple positions, maybe one of the guard spots in an emergency, I think I could see him. That's maybe why you don't see him as, as a first-round guy or, or second. He's kind of tumbling because you just don't know what you're going to get out of him at the NFL level. All right, let's uh, let's look at the rest of the prospects that Florida State has and kind of go rapid fire, guys, just down the down the line. Whether you uh, think they're going to be drafted, if so, what round they're going to go? And let's start off with, uh, I guess, top of the list for me would be Marquez White. My guess is he does get drafted. I'm going to go probably seventh round though. It's such a deep cornerback class that 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 may not afford him a whole lot of you know, flexibility of, of teams unless someone falls in love with him. There's just a lot of guys out there that do similar things he does. So I say Marquez does get drafted, but I'm leaning towards uh, sixth, probably seventh round. Yeah, I think he goes. I think he goes early as a fifth. I think the thing with Marquez is if you're looking for a really physical DB, he might not fit the bill. But if you're looking for a guy that just simply can cover – do a good job when the ball's in the air, get his hand in between the guy's arms, break up the pass, that kind of guy. He fits. I think he would fit well with, you know, like a nickel spot early in his NFL career potentially. Bob? Yeah, I agree with that. Sixth or seventh round sounds about right. I I think, you know, Brennan, to your point, I I think one of the draft analysts was saying that they thought maybe 20 defensive backs were going to go in seven rounds, and and it's hard for Mark West to separate himself from that kind of pack. So you're probably looking at, again, sixth or seventh round. All right, next, uh, Travis Rudolph. We'll start off with you, Bob. Uh, I guess what are your thoughts on on if he goes, and if so, where? You know, Rudolph does bring some good things to the table, possession receiver, good route runner. But similar to Marquez, how does he separate himself from the pack? He's not extremely tall or a speed guy. So to me, I think I could easily see him go undrafted. But he has gotten a couple workouts. I think Patriots, Broncos, Dolphins, of course, been a local team. So I could see him going sixth or seventh, maybe. Chris? I think he's probably a seventh rounder if he gets drafted at all. Um, 
the concern I would have with him is you put on a film against really good opponents and it kind of leaves something to be desired. He kind of feasted on the, the weak more so than really good DBs. Um, and athletically, you know, that performance at the combine just probably really hurt his momentum if he had any in this process. Yeah, his uh, his spark score, which kind of takes up all the athletic summaries of someone, I think was at four per- in the four percentile of what you look for in a in an NFL wide receiver, which was just not not good <laughs> at all. Uh, I, I would probably have Travis going in the seventh. I think he has enough production in college uh, at a big time program. Uh, the things he does do well and the things he did test well at was like the agility drill, the three cone drill. He was above average there. His size is is okay. He has a chance to maybe stick as a a slot receiver and he's done like Bob said enough visits to where I think uh I think he has a chance to go in the seventh round I would have said on drafted free agent but I think that he's taken enough visits to make me think there's some legitimate interest uh with him out there uh let's go to Freddie Stevenson uh, fullback Chris what are your thoughts on if uh if there's love for the fullback in the draft uh, he's one of two best by everybody's estimation you know I think he'll end up going but I think it'll be very late Bob yeah, same here, very late, probably uh, sixth round. I, I'm not sure about the value of the fullback overall, but I think when, you, when you're drafting that late, you want to see guys that can be productive. Um, I think Mayock has mentioned, you know, Freddie could be a guy in your four-minute offense. I mean, you need a guy to keep the chains moving, keep possession. Freddie could be a guy who could be more than a fullback. So I think sixth round, maybe seven. Yeah, I think that's what's cool about Freddie is he's not that typical smash-mouth fullback of, of yesteryear. Like, you know, he's kind of adapted – He's an adapted version of what you need to have a fullback as a guy who can catch the ball in the backfield that can run from the fullback spot and as a as a tailback. Uh, but but still, with all that being said, there's just so little use for a fullback in the NFL, even though he's one of the, the better two, uh, him, Sam Rogers from Virginia Tech, and maybe one or two other guys out there. I just I just don't see him getting drafted. I do think he's an uh, undrafted free agent, like a high-priority guy, a guy who lands on a roster, makes it in the camp, and, and has, has a shot to to make a roster when the NFL season begins. I I don't know. I just don't see him getting drafted just because that position, there's just so little room for, for you know, margin of error in, in the draft, and I don't see people taking an asset and using it on a, on a fullback. Uh, we'll move to Kermit Whitfield, wide receiver. Uh, I don't feel like he'll get drafted, and, and I'm not even sure, you know, if he's a camp guy, honestly. I, mean, I think maybe because of his – his resume as a kickoff returner, but even that's really inconsistent, uh, you know, up and down throughout the years. Uh, didn't really build off of his production as a slot receiver as a junior. He's an undrafted free agent at the best in my mind. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I actually spoke to him briefly yesterday, and he said he hadn't had any workouts. So I, I think it's kind of far-fetched to think he makes it into a team's camp. He might get a look, uh, you know, the speed on the edge when he is a fast version of himself. You know, has some value, but it will depend on how he walks into camp prepared if he does get that undrafted free agent invite on where it goes for him if he has any shot of hanging on to a practice squad or whatnot. Yeah, same thing. I see him undrafted. Uh, Kermit kind of strikes me as a guy where you need to have a developmental option somewhere. Um, maybe Canada is the best option for him moving forward. Give him some playing time up there where it's, where it's pretty wide open offensively. Let's go to Kareem R, offensive lineman. Uh, my guess is probably undrafted free agent. I think he's big enough to make it into to camp, but uh, just based on his inconsistency at Florida State, he never really developed into the guy that they thought he was going to become. And I remember Rick Trickett raving the scouts that he was going to be you know, a left tackle potentially. He could play either guard spot and, and just really never 
re- really took off. So I'm going to go undrafted free agent for Kareem R. I had a I overheard a couple of scouts at Pro Day talking about him having bad weight on the frame and just mm-hmm. kind of being relatively negative towards what he brought to the table. So I think he's very unlikely to be undrafted. I mean, I think he's very un he's very likely not to be drafted. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it, I'm having a bad case of the Mondays on Tuesday. Um, but uh, I think he might end up with the New York Giants at least in their training camp. I know they brought him in a couple times as a local. So it wouldn't shock me if they give him a shot. And I know he's talked to Bobby Hart, who's up there some too. So I think that's a potential landing spot where he at least gets a shot to try. Yeah, same thing. I think he's going to be undrafted. He's had a few injury issues. He's, he's got to reshape his body a little bit better and, and be prepared for the NFL before he's, uh, he's going to see the field. I saw a couple uh, New York scouts, both the Jets and Giants, talking to Sean McGuire on Pro Day. Um, but I'm not going to put Sean McGuire on this list and let you guys go at him. I, I'm not going to let you do that to Sean. Let's go to uh, Bobo Wilson, wide receiver, last but not least. Uh, my guess is on drafted free agent for Bobo. I will say this about him. PFF did the uh, pretty in-depth metrics for like every single wide receiver in the draft class, and he was actually the most efficient at tracking deep balls, uh, deep passes of 20-plus yards in the class, although he only had like six targets downfield. He caught four of them, but... The best uh, deep threat in the draft class, Florida State wide receiver Bobo Wilson. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have to really convince me on uh, spending a draft pick on Bobo. <laughs> I, I could see him maybe being invited to a camp. But um, honestly, you, you know, again, with a lot of these guys, go to Canada. Honestly, <laughs> it's decent money. Go to Canada, play some ball, make some money. Why not? I don't think he gets drafted, but I really want to know what Bob has against arena football. I know AFL is great. I, I covered a year of arena football with the uh, Tennessee Titans. It was it was really fun, to be honest. It was a lot of fun, but it was it was basketball scores, a lot of uh, fifty four to forty eight kind of stuff. Yeah, I covered I covered the Preds for a few years uh, in Orlando, and that was that was fun. They used to have like pizza nights where they scored like more than seventy points. Uh, everyone got free hungry howies, so it was it was a pretty great pretty great time. Grid access, um, those guys are just happy to you know have have some you know some extra spending money for you know with football you know kind of being a, a second career for them. So it, it's cool, but uh, uh, I don't know if Bubba Wilson's a uh, an AFL caliber receiver. It doesn't really stretch the field. I know what I said about the PFF stats, but even a metric heavy guy like me can't really believe those. Uh, I do think Herbert Whitfield does maybe have a chance in the CFL. I've seen some guys with kind of comparable skill sets. Quincy McDuffie at UCF uh, was a track guy in high school, a little bit undersized, kind of built like Kermit actually. Um, and he's actually had a nice career in Canada and, and maybe we'll have a chance in the NFL in a year or two, at least to get a, a shot at a roster. Same thing with Kenny Shaw. We saw him as a guy who is a slot receiver at Florida state, uh, had a really good year in Canada. So he, he may be a guy. Um, but overall, what we're looking at here, guys is, is, you know, for sure, I think we're going to see three players from Florida State drafted that we, we, we know definitively they will get drafted, just a matter of where, that being you know, Dalvin Cook, uh, Roderick Johnson, Demarcus Walker. After that, you know, I think Marquez White you know, has a chance. We feel more likely that he will. Travis Rudolph has a chance, and that's kind of a coin flip there. So it could be three, could be maybe up to six, probably around there. Now let's go to a, uh, a couple questions here that we had from readers. I'm just going to pull this up. And I'm going to completely butcher their their screen names. They came and asked us the questions on Knowles 24-7 on the message board. So first is, I think it's Mahler16. Sorry. 
Uh, he said, you all think Travis Rudolph has any regrets about forgoing his senior season? We touched a little bit on Travis, but, but do you guys think that he would have been someone that would have benefited from coming back for a senior year, That given that his draft stock doesn't seem great? Or do you think this was kind of kind of the ultimate landing spot for him, regardless of of where he was going to, to you know, when he was going to go to the draft? I think that's sort of a yes and no. I don't think he was going to get taller, get more athletic, anything of that sort was going to drastically change. But I think a little more consistency in production, better performances against better opponents would have benefited him some. But uh, at the end of the day, he kind of is what he is. Yeah, I can understand him chasing the money now because what is he, maybe a sixth rounder now? Next year, he's maybe a sixth rounder, fifth rounder next year. I think, like Chris was saying, a little bit more consistency. It would have been fun to see him in a three wide receiver set with Murray and Tate. You know, maybe at that point, you're not seeing as many. Uh, safeties over the top kind of shadowing you and you have some more options to be more productive but um, yeah, I can I can certainly understand why you came out this year I would have liked to see Travis used exclusively as a slot receiver at Florida State because I think that's what his what his upside is at the next level if he's going to make it in the NFL it's going to be as a slot receiver that uses his quickness uh, you know ability to, to work in tight spaces to kind of to be a guy who's productive. And I would have liked to see him do that almost exclusively at Florida State. And he maybe would have had a chance if he stayed an extra year. But, yeah, I agree with you guys in terms of, like, his upside is is what it is. He's not going to get a whole lot faster. Uh, could have been more consistent. But I don't think there's a whole lot of regrets uh, for him to, to leave. I mean, I don't know that for sure. But my guess is this was probably the right decision for him and his family. And, and on that note, too, um, thoughts and prayers are with Travis Rudolph. kind of uh, going undergoing a, a pretty terrible tragedy, losing his father uh, in a shooting over the weekend. So, um, you know, thoughts are with him, and obviously, it's kind of a it sucks. You know, this is a time where you're supposed to be excited and you know be looking at your future, and you're having to deal with this. So, hopefully, he does get drafted and gets money to you know support his family. And again, our, our thoughts and and prayers are with him. Um, let's go on to another question. There's gonna be two questions from the same person. It's Jay. I think it's. Simonovic, Simonovic. I don't know. I probably shouldn't be reading these. You guys should probably do these next time. Uh, but let's let's start off first. Okay, this is from from Jay Simonovic. First, with our recent lack of explosive plays in both the punt and kick return game, uh, in parentheses outside of Gavin's in the Orange Bowl, why have we not seen Levante Taylor get a crack back there? I know he's an important piece of the defense, but he seemed to be one of the return specialists. I have seen uh, one of the best return specialists I've ever seen on tape. I uh, didn't see anything out of the other guys. It made me think Taylor couldn't at least do that. Additionally, I know that Akers has been fielding kicks, but is that a realistic chance? Uh, Chris, uh, take away the uh, the ever uh, aggravating uh, special specialist uh, special teams uh, for Florida State. Always a, a aggravating topic of conversation for Florida State fans. I don't really have a good answer on why we haven't seen Taylor. It truly doesn't make sense to me. I mean, you plug in the tape from high school, and it's clear cut. Kid is an excellent return man with great vision acceleration, shimmy in the hips. I think last year his quad issue may have played some into him not getting a chance there. But the fact we didn't really see it much during the spring kind of, you know, I was still a little confused by that. Um, With Cam Akers and really anybody of that level of talent, I think it's entirely realistic that we could see them back there. I don't think Jimbo's one for kind of, you know, putting bubble wrap on his best players. He's going to put him in a position to make plays. You know, I, I think you could see Derwin, Cam Akers, those types all back there. It, it's pretty clear to me, I don't know if it is to the coaching staff, that they need an improvement in that category over last season. The ability to quickly change a game completely with a punt return or a kick return, or at least just flip the field and put your offense in a good position to get three, if not seven, and keep your defense out of a uh, 
a short field situation if you have to turn it over. Um, it's so vital. And last year they were god awful at it. So, you know, I, I hope it's something they resolve before kickoff. Yeah, Jimbo values field position as a play caller, and it, and it makes sense. Um, I, I think we could see just about anybody, as Chris mentioned. I, I really think the full roster should be open as far as f- figuring out who should be the kick return guy. Uh, even Jalen Ramsey was back there, you know, mm-hmm. we saw as a junior. So it could be Cam Akers. I think somebody kind of tried to quiet the whole Derwin James conversation. I, I don't think so. You know, I mean, Derwin wants the ball in his hands. I think you want to try and see somebody with some explosion and, and some physicality as a return guy. I, I do think Gavin is going to be one of those kick return uh, options for sure. With punt returns, uh, you know, again, Jimbo says, first, you got to secure the ball. And they haven't found a guy who consistently will secure it. I'd like to see if Levante Taylor is that guy moving forward, you know, not just being able to secure it, but then have a little bit of wiggle and, uh, and kind of move forward and set up some good field position. Shit, Levante could get out there and muff the ball a couple times like the other punt returners did this year. Like, uh, one thing that's kind of been confounding to me since I've been covering, you know, Florida State and, and Jimbo Fisher is is the priority on protecting the football on special teams, which I completely get. Like when they had Kenny Shaw back there in thirteen, like you knew he wasn't going to break, you know, any big punt returns, but he was going to consistently catch the ball and field it well. But they since then it's just, it's been a complete and unmitigated I don't want to say disaster that may not be fair but it's been it's been an adventure consistently I mean Jimbo has opted to put veterans back there uh, but that hasn't really worked like so you put Rashad Green back there I remember it was in fourteen on the road at NC State a pretty vital part uh, important part of the game uh, Rashad muffed the punt. Uh, that guy in that stage <laughs> to, to, to lose the ball and I think he did it a couple times and then even you know on kickoff return in the Orange Bowl like it was such a, a perfect uh, example of of you know Jimbo wanting to have you know senior again with the ball in his hands and, and Keith Gavin gets it instead of Kermit Whitfield so the true freshman who's barely played all season gets it as opposed to one of the leading you know kickoff returners in, in Florida State history and and the senior tells him not to return the ball out of the out of the end zone and turned out to be the wrong decision because the the freshman just went for it anyways and made a play and you know gave Florida State a chance to win that game um, I think there's something to be said for putting the ball in, in the playmaker's hands I know Nooney had a couple issues returning it last year uh, but when you watch him like glide in practice when he returned the ball I remember Jimbo being really impressed with him uh, so that was Jimbo's attempt to try to give the playmaker a chance, even though it wasn't his first choice after Bobo got hurt. But still, uh, you know, putting a guy like Levante there, it can't be any worse than what it's been in recent years. And there's just too much talent at Florida State for that to not be a part of the, you know, bigger part of the game plan to have some game breakers on special teams. I, I just don't know why that that doesn't happen. Um, anyway, sorry, I'm rambling. Let's go on to the second part of Jason Manovich's <laughs> question. Uh, secondly, uh, with the quote-unquote slide that appears to be happening to Roderick Johnson, do you think he is regretting his decision? This is a weaker offensive attack class, and I'm seeing him falling into the fourth round in some mocks. Love this kid, but he uh, but felt he has the talent to be taken much higher. Uh, another good question here. Uh, we touched on, on Rod's uh, decision. Uh, do you guys think that that was the right choice for Roderick Johnson? Do you think he's regretting it a little bit, given that uh, he was a potential first-round, second-round guy in the beginning of the year, and now maybe fourth round. Let's see what happens. I guess I'll take it first. I was trying to let my man Bob come in here and take over. But, uh, no, I I think that, again, kind of like similar to Travis, at this point you are what you are in your college career. 
Rod could have come back and, you know, maybe had a better year and obviously not getting sick at the combine would have really paid off for him. But uh, revisionist history isn't really my thing. I think he's a guy that he needs a change of scenery. I think he might do better at the next level. And he went in a class that is weak, as the person mentioned. It is a weak offensive tackle class. So, yeah, I I don't think he was magically going to come back and get stronger and play at a different level than he had played at for most of the last 30 months. Yeah, I think Rod probably evaluated the class and saw who was going to be available and, and decided, you know, it was time. I think a lot of these guys figure, you know, in high school too, they, they think they're going to be here three years in college and they're, they're just mentally in that, that focus and mindset of I'm, I'm going to do everything I can for three years and then I'm, I'm ready. It's my time to go. So sometimes I think these decisions have been made, you know, a year or two in advance, you know, the barring injury, I'm on campus three and then I'm ready to roll. Yeah. And I think with Rod, the one thing that they kind of have to keep it in, in mind with him is when you say, well, yeah, he has upside. He maybe if he stays one more year, he gets more polished. Like his, and Chris, you touched on this earlier, his lack of progress at Florida State uh, in three years. He didn't get much better from year one to year three. He was always adequate and solid at left tackle, but just not the consistent guy uh, that, that you would want to see from an early round draft pick, uh, despite some of the physical attributes you kind of just wonder what does one extra year do? If, if you haven't gotten better in three years or noticeably better, um, what does an extra year do? So in that standpoint, I think maybe he's not reached his ceiling as a football player, but just reached his ceiling at what he can do at the you know collegiate level. Um, I think he's a guy that didn't have a whole lot of help with uh, next to him at left guard for the last years. I think Kareem Marr was kind of a disappointment in a lot of ways and uh, you know injuries and stuff. There was kind of a revolving door. We saw a handful of guys at left guard. Uh, next to Rod so it wasn't helped out by that by any means but I think he's a guy that that is better just to go uh, kind of take the guaranteed money that that comes in the you know maybe in the third round or fourth round take what you can get and start getting coached by NFL coaches uh, and see what happens uh, see what happens as a you know, as a project player that may take a year or two to get ready because uh, I don't know if staying an extra year ultimately uh, would have really helped him much um and I think with that, guys, that's all the questions that we have. I uh, want to thank both Christney and Bob Ferrante for, for joining a very uh, nasally-sounding Michael Sarah. I sound more like McLovin today than I do Michael Sarah, I think. But hopefully uh, when we do the recruiting podcast later this week, I'll be a little bit more uh, back, to, back to form. So anyways, guys, thanks for listening. I appreciate all of you uh, who asked questions. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be back next week to kind of sum up the draft, uh, what happened. Uh, we'll see if Dalvin Cook goes in the first round, how many Florida State players are drafted, all that stuff. So with the Knowles 24-7 podcast, I'm Brendan Sinone, and thanks for listening.